Galatians chapter 5. Now, as we read uh, this passage in our New Testament reading today, you will remember that we saw two lists, didn't we? One list was called the works of the flesh, and one list was called the fruit of the Spirit. And I wonder if you recognized your own life in either of those lists. Now, none of us will perfectly embody the fruit of the Spirit, just as none of us will exhibit all the works of the flesh. But which direction are you going in? Are you showing more the fruit of the Spirit? Or are the works of the flesh becoming more and more evident in your life? Before we can answer this properly, it would be helpful to understand what Paul is talking about here when he's uh, mentioning these things. Uh, And we're going to go to that passage a bit more carefully to try and do that. But before we can do that, let's look at the argument, uh, where he's up to in that argument through the book of Galatians. So we need to look at the background. Remember the Galatian Christians were Gentiles. They were non-Jews. They had heard the gospel through the Apostle Paul. They had trusted in Jesus and God had given them his spirit. So they started off well. But then a group of people from Jerusalem came and said, look, faith in Christ is not enough for salvation. Unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, then you cannot be saved. They said to the Gentiles, the law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai for the people of Israel, 1,500 years before that, that law applies to you. You have to keep it. If you don't keep it, you're not saved. And these Gentiles had begun to listen to them. But really, even the Jews couldn't keep the law. Over and over again, their history was one of failure to keep the law, wasn't it? And so they couldn't be justified, that is, they couldn't be declared right with God on the basis of observing the law. In fact, by the works of the law, will no one, Jew or Gentile, be justified, Paul says. The only way someone can really be justified is by faith. And that's what happened to Abraham. Abraham believed God, the Old Testament tells us, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He heard God's promises, he trusted God's word, and God considered him righteousness. Considered him righteous. It's about believing. And for us to be justified and for the Galatians to be justified is the same thing. We are justified by faith, faith in Christ. For if we have faith in Christ, then we're united with Christ by the Spirit. Spiritually, we are together, we are one. Our sins are counted to Him, His righteousness is counted to us. When He died on the cross, He paid for our sins, and and what's left is His righteousness that we share with Him. And so it is perfectly right for God to say, We are righteous to justify us in Christ. And since it is faith that unites us to Christ, we can say we are justified by faith. It's not about doing. It's about hearing God's promises and believing Him. On the other hand, we remember the law was not about believing, but about doing It came with a stipulation that everyone who doesn't keep everything in the law will be cursed. And the Jews fell under that curse because they couldn't keep it. But Jesus died to take the curse that otherwise they would be stuck with under the law. And now the Gentiles, now the Galatians, 
these Gentile believers who had been saved by faith like Abraham were being influenced to go backwards, to go back under the law. For the Jews, the law had been there like a, a temporary guardian to watch over the kid until he's grown up and doesn't need it anymore. And then Jesus died to release them from the law. They don't need it either. Gives them the Spirit, adopts them as sons. No longer slaves, but they're children by the Spirit. And then these, these, these Galatians, these Gentiles, they, 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 they receive the Spirit. They become God's children. But now to go back to the law. Ridiculous. If they were circumcised in order to obey the law, that would mean they were going under the law again and they would have to keep the whole thing and they would fail and they would be condemned. Because if they took up circumcision, they will be ending up doing rather than trusting in order to be saved. And Paul says they will fall away from grace because they're no longer relying on God's kindness for their righteousness, but on the things they do. They can't do enough, and they, and, they, and they wouldn't be saved. And so Paul urges them in chapter 5, verse 2, stand firm in the freedom that Christ has given you. Don't go back to slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, when someone says you are free, what's the question you have to always ask? Free from what, isn't it? Right? Just saying you are free doesn't mean anything unless the person can tell you what you're free from. Am I free from paying taxes? Am I free from lies? Uh, am I free to leave the country? Am I free to marry? Am I, am I free can never be an absolute statement. If I'm free from all the obligations of citizenship in a country, I'm not free to receive all the privileges of citizenship in a country. No one's free in every sense of the term. So if someone says you are free, you've got to say, free from what? What's the nature of the freedom that's being talked about? Now, when Paul says in Galatians that we are free, he actually explains what it means. Back in chapter 3, verse 23, the Jews were held captive under the law. Under the law, they had to do to be righteous. In chapter 4, verse 3, they were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. The Galatians were. Uh, because this righteousness by doing is not restricted to the law of Moses. It's a basic principle in the world. God judges justly on the basis of performance. He will judge everyone according to they've done. Fame for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. In chapter 4 verse 8, he says that when you didn't know God, he's talking to the Gentiles, you are enslaved to things that are not God's. It's the phrase the Old Testament uses for idols. And when they were enslaved to idols, they were also enslaved, in verse 9 of chapter 4, to the weak and elementary principles of the world. Whatever system of belief they had, whatever idols they were worshipping, what they had to do was perform. It was all about doing just like the Jews under the law. But now, he says, to both the Jews and the Gentiles, you're called to freedom. So what's freedom here? It's freedom from being under the Mosaic law. For the Jews, it's freedom from being under the idols from the Gentiles and being under those elemental principles. In other words, for both of them, it's the freedom from having to do in order to be right with God. It's a freedom from performance-based religion. It's a freedom from the slavery of having to try, 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 and try and do what is right, but fail, 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 and remain under God's condemnation. But it's not 
of freedom to sin. You see, people might think that if you're not under the law of Moses, then you just do whatever you like. There's no rules, no boundaries, it's free for all. Maybe that's what the opponents were saying was the problem with Paul's gospel. Because if you're not really under the law of Moses, then you can just sin away, right? It's okay. After all, if you're not saved by doing, you're saved by hearing God's promises and trusting Him, then just do anything. Well, last week we saw Paul warning the Galatians in chapter 5 verse 13, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh because that is not what you were freed for. Now, what is the flesh? The flesh is our natural self. And right now, our natural self is sinful. Not all flesh is necessarily sinful. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He was sinless. Uh, When we human beings were created, we were sinless as well. But our flesh, our natural self, is corrupted by sin. The natural person, the person I was born as, is a sinful person. And it's been like that for human beings since the fall. We've got a sinful nature. And so our flesh, our natural state, is sinful. And so when Paul says, don't don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, he means, don't let the fact that you're free from doing in order to be right with God, means that you just let your natural self do what it likes. Your freedom is is freedom from the law, but it's not a freedom to sin. There's something else that stops you from sinning and leads you in an opposite direction, and it's not the law. What's the something else? What leads you away from sin? It's not the law, but the Spirit. Have a look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit... And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? When you walk by something, it means that something governs your life, isn't it? Right? In the Old Testament, Moses' father-in-law tells him he should make the people know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. It's saying, know your lifestyle, the way to live your life. And Paul says we are to walk by the Spirit. Okay, still don't quite know what that means. Once again, go back again to the Old Testament. Remember our Old Testament reading today? Israel uh, was sent into exile because they didn't obey God's law. And then God made a promise to them through the prophet Ezekiel. He promised one day he's going to bring them back. One day he's going to restore them. And this is what he says uh, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 to 27. I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean from all your uncleanness. From your idols I will cleanse you. I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put in you. I'll remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Walk by the spirit, Paul says. Isn't that interesting? God was going to wash them from their sins. Right? They're going to be forgiven by God, not by an act of their work, 
God is going to do it. And then God is going to give them this new heart and he's going to give them his spirit and cause them to walk in his statutes, to obey his rules. Right, so somehow or other, God's statutes and rules are still around, isn't it? But it's the spirit who causes them to walk in them. And this happens after he has forgiven them, after he has saved them. So they're not obeying him in order to be forgiven, in order to be saved, in order to be washed clean. No, no, he does that first, and then he gives them his spirit, and the spirit causes them to keep his laws. So they're doing that not in order to be saved, but because they have been. Now the question then comes, well, okay, does that mean that Christians are led by the Spirit to obey the law of Moses? Well, yes and no. We're not under the law of Moses. We've seen that over and over again in Galatians. We're going to see it again today in our passage. The law of Moses has been fulfilled by Christ. He kept it fully, and he kept it from the heart like no one else can. And it's also fulfilled in Christ. He is the one that the whole law of Moses is pointing forward to. So the law of Moses is fulfilled. It's not operational anymore. It's not the covenant that we are under. And so in that sense, we are not under the law. However, the law of Moses is an expression of God's character applied to the people of Israel at the time. And it's part of Scripture. And all Scripture we know is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, 2 Timothy 3.16. And so every part of the Bible, including the law, has application for us. But we don't apply it directly to us as if we were Israel back in those days. Rather, we see how it is fulfilled in Christ and then apply it to us now. And it's the Spirit who teaches us to do that. He gave us the model for that in the New Testament. The New Testament is His words just as much as the Old Testament is His words. And when we see how the New Testament uses the Old, we see how the commands of the Old are transformed or repeated in the New, we see how it applies to us who are in Christ. And it is the Spirit who teaches us to do that. Spirit gives us the Old Testament that points us forward to Christ. The Spirit gives us the New Testament where we see the fulfillment of the law. The Spirit teaches us to apply the Old Testament, not as people under the law, but in terms of its fulfillment in Christ. And the Spirit still speaks to us through those words that were written so many years before. Not as the law of Moses, which we need to keep to be saved, but as the living, abiding Word of God which points us to his Son and teaches us to obey him. And that same Spirit not only speaks to us, but he works in us. Remember what God says, I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The Spirit opens our hearts to these words. He gives us faith to believe them. He gives us hearts that long to obey God. He gives us the power to do so. It is God, by His Spirit, who causes us to walk in His ways. It is God, by His Spirit, who enables us to fulfill the law in the way that it applies to us today. Not as the law of Moses, but as the law of Christ. For it is God, by His Spirit, who enables us to love 
And so even as we read the Old Testament, even as we read the law of Moses, we're not reading it like the Jews. For them, the law was external, showing them their sinfulness, condemning them for their failure to keep it. For us, the Spirit is internal. He points us to Christ and the gospel. He enables us to see the world and even see the scriptures in a Christ-centered way. He motivates us to obey God's word, not in order to be saved, but because we have been. He pours God's love into our hearts by pointing us to the cross and enabling us to trust in Christ who we see there. We're not like slaves reading the Old Testament as law that condemns. We're reading it as children who are not under the law, but who delight to see the character of their father express that and seek to imitate him and please him. We are reading as people who have been freed from the burden of performance but now are freely saying, how can I serve and please God from the heart? We're reading it as people not under the law but as people who are led by the Spirit. Imagine going back to your old school And you're the guest of honor at the school's prize-giving ceremony. Are you under the school rules anymore? No, you're not, are you? If someone said to you, I'm sorry you can't come in because you don't have your school uniform on, where's your badge? You say, no, no, I look young, but actually, (laughs) I'm not a student here. I've graduated from school. I'm not under the school rules anymore. And friends, that's the same for us, isn't it? We're no longer under the law of Moses as such. We, we don't need to be circumcised to come in. We've, we've grown up. We're like that grown-up visiting their old school. We don't have to wear the uniform anymore. On the other hand, when you go back to the school as the guest of honor on prize-giving day, you're simply going to come late, leave your shirt hanging out, swear at the teachers, smoke cigarettes, distribute drugs, and you know, talk during assembly. Why? You're no longer under the school rules which prohibit such things. Well, yes, you're not under the rules, but you still have to behave, don't you? In fact, you now have to behave even better because of who you are. You don't need the school rules to tell you how to behave. You do it of your own volition. You do it not because you're scared the prefects might book you, but because you're grown up and you're the guest of honor at the school's prize-giving ceremony. Your motivation is internal. It's not the school rules anymore. It's a bit like that with us, isn't it? We're not under the law. We're led by the Spirit. And we're led by the Spirit to love God, to seek to obey Him. We're led by the Spirit not to obey just the outside things, but to obey from the heart to love God, to love our neighbor. And when we do that, we're actually fulfilling the law. And so Paul says, this is the longest introduction I've ever done, I think. Paul says in verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Let the Spirit determine how you live. Let your lifestyle be governed by the Spirit. And if you do that, he says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't. Notice he doesn't say walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
Because you see in verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. The spirit will pull you one way. Your natural self will pull you the other way. You want to do both, but you can't. And if you're walking by the spirit, you won't be gratifying the desires of the flesh. See, the way to avoid sin is not put yourself back under the law of Moses. Verse 18 reminds us, if we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the law. No, we're not. The way we avoid sin is to walk by the Spirit who leads us. Let the Spirit keep leading us to the cross. Let the Spirit keep making Jesus big in our horizons. Let the Spirit keep speaking to us through the Word. Let the Spirit keep assuring us that we are the children of our Heavenly Father. Let the Spirit keep motivating us to obey Him from the heart. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now what does it look like when someone's gratifying the desires of the flesh? What do our natural selves produce when left to ourselves? Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, that's sex outside marriage, before, during, or after. Impurity, that moral filth. Sexual sin from the the direction of, of being dirty. Sensuality, that's being sexually reckless or promiscuous. Idolatry. That's the worship of anything other than God, uh, usually statues or images. Sorcery, maybe witchcraft or black magic or, or maybe even drug abuse, that word can be used. The enmity, that's being hostile or hateful to someone. Strife, keeping on quarreling and bickering with people. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries coming from selfish ambition. Dissensions, causing division among people. Divisions, breaking up into factions. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, but particularly wild partying. And things like these, a whole lot of other things you can imagine. And Paul says in verse 21, I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If your life and mine are characterized by these works of the flesh, then it is evident that we are not walking by the Spirit. The Spirit is not at work in our lives, and if the Spirit is not at work in our lives, then there is no reason to think we are saved. Because God gives His Spirit to everyone whom He washes clean. It is the Spirit who makes us God's children. It is God's children who inherit the kingdom. On the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit is seen in verse 22 to 23. Notice it's fruit, not fruits. Okay? You can't say, I have love, and then Jillian has peace, and, and Jim has patience, and, and Connie has kindness, and so we just have one each. You know? No, 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 no. It's one fruit that's expressed in different ways. And the fact that it's called fruit kind of implies that it grows rather than just suddenly appears. And it also implies that it's generated from within, not from the outside. You know, apples grow on apple trees, 
Mangoes on mango trees, durians on durian trees, and the fruit of the Spirit grows in those in whom the Spirit is at work. And the first fruit there, of course, is love. Love for God, love for Jesus, love for God's people, love for the lost. Joy. It's a joy that comes from knowing that God loves you. The Spirit has poured that love in your heart, that that your eternal future is secure no matter what happens here. You can have joy. Peace. Don't know if it's an internal peace that comes from trusting God to look after you or it's a peace that characterizes relationships with your brother and sister in Christ. Maybe both, I don't know. Patience. It's a patience, well, remembering how God has been so patient with us, then we show patience to each other, don't we? Kindness. Again, responding to the kindness God's given us at the cross that the Spirit keeps pointing us to. Goodness or generosity. Again, the Spirit keeps showing us God's goodness, His generosity to us and and leads us to have the same attitude to others. Faithfulness. Being the kind of person that other people can trust because that's the kind of God that we serve. Gentleness, which includes humility and courtesy, like Jesus, whom the Spirit points us to. And and self-control. See, these are the kind of things the Spirit produces in people's lives. You can't legislate for it. Something that comes from within. And the Bible says, the end of verse 23, against such things there is no law. Against such things there is no law. Law doesn't go against that. That's what is beyond the law. You can't, you can't have law about that. And if you're doing that, if your life is characterized by that, then actually you're fulfilling the law in a most profound way. Because remember from last week, the law is fulfilled in the command to love one another. Of course, we won't be doing it perfectly because we've still got the flesh pulling us in the other direction. But the Spirit does His work step by step and our lives change and the fruit of the Spirit will be seen. Okay, so we've seen that the spirit and the flesh want very different, incompatible things. The works of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit look different. And those of us who are believers have been given the spirit to change our hearts and to change our lives. So what's our position now? Where do we stand in terms of the flesh? Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They have crucified the flesh. doesn't mean the flesh is not there. We still have the flesh. The Spirit's there as well. We're going to struggle until Jesus comes again. But at the same time, we have crucified the flesh. We've said, I want you dead. <laughs> it's as if the flesh is pathetically... Whoops. Getting a bit enthusiastic here. All right. It's as if the flesh is pathetically hanging on a cross, waiting to die when Jesus returns. When we said yes to Jesus, that means we said no to the flesh. Same thing, just two sides of the same coin. We already decided against it. If we say, I trust in Jesus and I want to live by the flesh, it doesn't make sense. I can't say Jesus is my Lord and I don't want him to rule my life. So when we came to Jesus... We chose against the flesh. 
we have crucified the flesh. And we could only do that because the Spirit worked in us to give us faith. And when that happened, the Spirit gave us life, new life, eternal life with Jesus forever. We live, verse 25, by the Spirit. So what's our position? We've said a decisive no to the flesh, and we've been given new life by the Spirit. That's, that's the position that we're in. And then the Apostle Paul says, verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Or another way of translating that walk is keep in step with the Spirit. We've crucified the flesh. The Spirit's given us life. Let's live the Spirit's way. Let's listen to what he says. Let's do what he desires. And Paul gives one example of that right at the end of this passage. He says in verse 26, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Right, the word conceited there means having an attitude where we think we deserve praise and renown. Right? Thinking too highly of ourselves. And if we do that, then we will provoke one another. We'll end up challenging each other to get the recognition that we think we are due. Or we will envy each other. We'll keep on looking at the recognition or position or attention that other people get and we'll be jealous of them because we think that we deserve it. And that's, that's fleshly behavior, isn't it? And Paul says to the Galatians, and the Spirit says to us, don't do that. You've repudiated the flesh. You said no to it. And you've been given new life by the Spirit. So don't behave in a fleshly kind of way, lah. You're not rivals with each other. Your you're brothers and sisters are meant to be helping each other. Press on in godliness. We'll see more about this as Paul develops this a bit more in chapter 6 next week. So let me summarize and systematize what we've just pulled together, uh, what we've seen. All right? the, the, the summary and the references are in point 3 of your outline. Uh, they'll come up on the screen as well. What have we seen? We have seen three things that are true of believers. First of all, we live by the Spirit. Right? That is, the Spirit has given us new life in Christ. Secondly, we are led by the Spirit so that we're not under law. What changes our life and behavior is not the threat of punishment from the law, but the transforming work of the Spirit. And thirdly, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We said no to our natural selves. We said yes to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And those three things are true of everyone who is a believer. Now, if those three things are true, then we've also seen what we ought to do. What we ought to do is walk by the Spirit. That is, follow the Spirit's lead. We should walk with Him and work with Him as he seeks to change us to become more like Christ. And as we do that, then we will not gratify the desires of the flesh because they're not consistent with the Spirit's lead. And in particular, we should love each other rather than being conceited and provoking each other and envying each other. And if we do follow the Spirit's lead, if we do walk with him, then what should we expect to see? Well, we expect to see fruit in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit. And on the other hand, if we live to gratify the desires of the flesh, we will see another set of behaviors. 
behaviors that are symptomatic of a heart that is not led by the Spirit and will not inherit the kingdom. So in conclusion, let me ask you the question I asked right at the beginning of our sermon today. You answer for you. Don't answer for other people. You answer to God and to yourself. You don't answer to anyone else either. What predominates in your life? Is it the fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh? It's a diagnostic question, isn't it? Because if you're showing the fruit of the Spirit and you can see that this fruit is, is springing from a faith in Christ and His gospel, then you know the Spirit's at work in your life and you'll be grateful to God for that. You're not under the law. You're led by the Spirit. It doesn't mean don't struggle with the flesh. Of course you do. And sometimes you still exhibit fleshly behavior and you need to be reminded that you've crucified the flesh and given you life by the Spirit so you keep in step with Him. Like Paul reminded those Galatians. But at the end of the day, you know that the Spirit is changing you into the image of Christ. The Spirit is leading you little by little to holiness and godliness. You're learning to obey God's will from the heart. You're learning to more and more have your life in step with Him. Isn't that a good thing? And you know, that's God's goodness to you, isn't it? That's not you. That's God's Spirit working in you. Thank God for that. But if your life is characterized by the works of the flesh, the answer isn't try harder not to do that. It's not work harder at producing the fruit of the Spirit. No, 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 no. The answer is first and foremost... Repent and believe the gospel. Stop ignoring or rejecting God. Stop trying to get right with God on the basis of performance by doing. Listen to the gospel message that the Spirit brings you. Jesus is Lord. And He died on the cross for you to take the punishment for your sins. He is willing to forgive you give you new life and give you His Spirit if you trust in Him. He rose again to show that He really is Lord and one day He will come to judge the world. So please believe this message. Say no to the flesh and yes to Jesus as your Lord once and for all. Trust Him to save you by His grace, by His kindness to you. By believing, not doing. And look forward to the transforming work of the Spirit in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your Spirit. And thank you that because we have your spirit, we have Christ. And because we have Christ, we have you. Thank you that your spirit has given us new life, that we've been justified by faith and no longer under the law. Thank you that your spirit points us to Jesus. 
enables us to appreciate the great love that you've shown us in him and his death for us. Thank you that your spirit inclines our hearts to love and obey you from the inside. Thank you that your spirit is leading us to holiness and godliness, to be more like your son. Father, as your people, we have repudiated the flesh. We've, we've crucified it with its passions and desires. And yet, while we're waiting for it to die, we still continue to struggle with it. Please, would you enable us, by your Spirit, to follow that Spirit's lead and not the desires of the flesh. May we be people who are characterized by the Spirit's fruit, both individually and in our community life together. May we not be conceited, provoking, and envying one another, but may we love one another from the heart and so fulfill the intent of the law. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.